Well, I said this morning that I thought we'd be in Psalms 40, but these two pieces of paper in my hand say differently, and we'll trust the Lord and turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. While at lunch this afternoon and uh, driving back conversation that Miranda and I had, the Lord really began to point my heart to something very specific in the New Testament tonight, and I want to try my best to follow Him and I really believe and trust that the Lord wants to encourage someone tonight. And these are going to be very familiar passages of Scripture. If you are a student of God's Word, no doubt the Gospels are hopefully part of your reading plan personally. And if you consume at least a chapter of the Gospels of day, then you may even come in contact with this story more than once or twice in a year. But Matthew chapter 8, the calming of the seas, the calming of the storm, we have all heard multiple messages, multiple sermons about storms, the storms of life, the situations, the circumstances. But there are some very particular things here as it pertains to the disciples that were on the ship with Jesus when this great tempest arose. And I want to do my best to look at a few of those and I think more than anything, simply put tonight, my heart is to brag on Jesus. I just want to brag on him. I want to lift him up. I want to point to him and what he is able to do in people's lives. Here's what I know. As your pastor, as a friend to many of you, a personal acquaintance to some, I know that there are so many in this church, so many families and good godly people who are in some of the most difficult days of their life. And I believe with all of my heart that, as I said this morning, as we draw near to the second coming of Christ, that the attack of the enemy, spiritual warfare against God's people, against the church, is going to be made more manifest physically than we've ever seen before. The open door, the Pandora's box of wickedness and vile, uh, just cultured decay that we have embraced now in some ways for generations, we're now beginning to pay the price. But do not be weary in that fact. This is all part of the plan. If you'll read your Bible, you can go to the end of this book and find the greatest news that we win in the final out, if you will, of the World Series in Game 7 at home plate where the Antichrist and Satan himself are tagged out at home and they get sent into hell for all of eternity for judgment. And you and I get to go to a ring ceremony. We get to go to the Father's table. We win this thing. Sometimes in this life though, the storm, the circumstance, the problem, the issue can blow so hard and the waves toss to and fro so violently that if you're not careful, you'll lose sight of who you are in Christ and who you are as a child of the Most High God, and what's waiting for you in heaven. I have said many times from this pulpit in the last two years, as we said goodbye to some of our dear friends from a terrible virus, to some of our friends who succumbed to a cancer battle, and God took them home, and he healed them. All of those friends of ours that were in the faith, that were so sick, we prayed for their healing, and God answered our prayer. He healed them. 
He took them home to a place where there is no cancer, where there is no COVID, where there is no pharmacy. And he did what only he could do. He healed them. He just healed them in a way that maybe we didn't prefer at the time. And our hearts long for them and we miss them. There are many people that I could think of today. Boy, I wish I could have a conversation with that person. But child of God, Christian, the one that's in the faith, if you were to have a spiritual passport, it would not say earth. It would say issued by heaven. You are a temporary passenger passing through this life on this earth. Your home, your citizenship is tied to where your father is. Your father is in heaven. The father of all goodness and greatness and righteousness is your father. And your citizenship is in heaven. But life is difficult. Life can be hard. Life can be challenging. Life can even knock you down and make you feel like you can't breathe. There are some of you here tonight, the last six months has been almost unrecognizable in grief and in pain. You've had to say goodbye to a friend. You've had to say goodbye to a loved one. A marriage has fallen apart. Uh, something has happened to one of your children. There's something that is pressing you and you're in the greatest storm, the greatest circumstance of your life. My hope then would be this, that we wouldn't hear another sermon on storms and look at it with our eyes rolled and say, well, here we go, another cliche. But rather we would approach this to the Lord's table for fresh bread from God's oven to be encouraged and to know that no matter who you are tonight, no matter what you're going through, and remember this message, this is very important that we say this on the onset, this message is for people who are in the faith, Christians, who are right with God. Think of that. The benefits structure and package, if you will, of your salvation is that God grants to you many wonderful things. But there's also a requirement for us to be able to enjoy the full fellowship of what God has for us. If we're out in left field living our own life, going our own way, walking our own path, then how do we expect the benefit of God to come off the path that God wanted us to be on and we chose to go down this path? And there's a big difference, as we'll find in just a moment, as far as being in the right ship or being on a ship by yourself. So just for a few minutes, I want to talk about when to go wake up Jesus. When to go wake up Jesus. Let's read verse number 23. And when he was entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest. That great tempest is a very, very particular Greek word. It's seismos. It's violent. It's horrendous. It's best described in our minds, visibly speaking, as a hurricane, a terrible storm. In the sea, and if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, it's not a great massive body of water. It can take less than a few hours to get from one end to the other. But nevertheless, here we are. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he, being Jesus, was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Now let me pause right there because I've got to get this out of my system. Who knows the old uh, song by Greater Vision? Master, carest thou not that we perish? Love that song. Let's, pu let's push forward. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful? 
Jesus asks the disciples, they come to where he is, they wake him up, and he asks them after they say, why won't you wake up and save us? He asks, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he, being Jesus, arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Heavenly Father, for just a few minutes, as we break bread this afternoon, as we study together, Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would encourage a saint, God, someone who is in a difficult position, a difficult place. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to this earth, God, to be not only all God, but all man. And Lord, as we tap into this story of human beings on a ship, God, I'm thankful that the son of God was also on this ship with these men. And Lord, that we have access to this story, we have access to this history, this documented fact. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us with this tonight. Feed us, thy people, your sheep. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Number one, something we can learn. There's five things I'm gonna give you that we can learn from this incredible story. But number one, following Jesus is always the best option. Following Jesus is always the best option. Option. Notice verse 23, and when he was entered into a ship, here's the best part of that verse, his disciples followed him. His disciples followed him. It would have been a much different circumstance and situation if these disciples had decided to get on a different ship than the one that Jesus was on. It could have been that them not following Jesus, them not following their master to the appropriate ship to go the appropriate route over the sea without Jesus in the hull of the ship could have proved to be a very different outcome. It could be said of this, that this storm without Christ on the ship could have even cost them their lives. But because they were paying attention and because they were listening, they wound up following Jesus onto the ship that he was going on. And when they get into the middle of this storm that we know that's coming, that Jesus knew was coming, they're also going to find something to be thankful for because they followed Jesus, they obeyed him, and they got on the right ship in the first place. The point is this, storms are different on different ships. Storms are different on different ships. Life is difficult for everybody in a very particular way, in a very particular circumstance for you, maybe the greatest storm of your life. It may be the greatest battle, the greatest struggle of your existence. For other people though, it's just everyday activity. Every ship reacts differently in the water. Every ship reacts differently in the storm. Some ships are beaten and broken and bruised and the slightest storm will send them into peril and demise. And some ships are larger and they can weather a greater storm. They have a thicker hull and they're able to navigate around the obstacles that come in life. But for every ship, the storm is different. The point is and the desire would be of anybody that's on this water, this body of water when the storm comes, is not the size of your ship. It's not the thickness of your hull. It's not the ability of the one who's in charge steering and piloting and captaining the ship. Rather, it's who's asleep in the hull. 
Who's on your ship? Who's leading and guiding? Where would you go to in your circumstance, in your situation, when the storm comes? It always pays. It's always the best option to follow Jesus in the first place. And these disciples, in their obedience, had done so. They got on the right ship at the right time, even in the circumstance that they were getting into. And let me say this, that consistency in following Jesus, as you go through life, some of you have been serving God longer than I've been alive. You have. You've been faithful to follow the Lord, to live for Jesus, to lead your family longer than I've been alive. If you've been saved more than 32 years, raise your hand. Good grief. Saved more than 32 years. You've been serving Jesus longer than I've been alive. And let me say this, consistency. Building that life of consistency in following Jesus will always build confidence for when the storms come. There's something to this consistency in life. There's something to this consistency in our walk. There is great benefit for us when we do not have to be beat back into line, if you will. When we don't have to be overly corrected all the time for our ways and our desire and going down our own path. But it does pay off and it does bring consistency and confidence in your walk for whatever your life is going to be when there's real consistency in following the Lord. There's a big difference when the storm comes and if you're in God's will or if you're out of God's will. When the wreck takes place, when the doctor calls with the bad report, when the tragedy happens, there's something to be said about being right with God in that moment rather than having to play catch up and reacquaint yourself with your father. There's something to consistency in your walk and it builds confidence. Following Jesus is always the best option, even when it's not easy, even when it's hard, even when it may cost you something, even when you don't see why it's beneficial. At the point in time they're getting on this ship, you're seeing maybe a calm day and blue skies and clear skies and the human side of us will be, well, this ship is bigger and it's faster. I'm gonna get in this ship and do it my way. But look at what it could have cost them when the storm came. Following Jesus is always the best option. Reading on, verse 25, and his disciples came to him. Notice that. His disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Number one, following Jesus is always the best option. Number two, sometimes life experience just isn't enough. Sometimes life experience just isn't enough. These men who were afraid for their lives on the Sea of Galilee in this ship most of these men had been around the Sea of Galilee literally all of their lives. They knew everything about the passage that they were on. They knew everything about the water, the channels, the currents, the tides. They even knew that because of where they were, that Mount Hermon produces these massive winds that were cold that bring even sometimes snow into that area. They knew that those winds could come down into the valley where Galilee is and, and that big storms and big waves could happen. These men have been around this all their lives. But at this point... 
In this storm, in this circumstance, it did not matter what their life experience was. Whatever was happening in this storm, the Bible says that the waves were coming over and into the ship. Whatever was happening in that moment was so severe and it was so bad that these seasoned fishermen, these tough, burly men came to a place of sheer panic and it did not matter what they knew. It did not matter how long they had been alive. They knew that this storm was going to cost them their life and they had to go to Jesus and get some help. And sometimes your life experience, even if you're someone that's older and you've lived to be 50 years old or 60 years old or 70 or 80 or even 90 years old, there are things that will pop up in life. There were circumstances that can come in life that no matter how much life experience you have as a human being, even the experience that you have as a Christian, there's going to come a place and a time where you can't do anything about the situation, about the storm, about the problem, and you're going to have to realize that your experience, your gray-headedness, your wisdom is still not going to be enough for the storm that's facing you face-to-face, terrorizing maybe you and the family that's with you on the ship. And at some place, you're going to have to come to the realization that some storms, some circumstances, some issues in life, some problems, some of the greatest heartaches... There's only one solution, and that's for you to go wake up Jesus, to go get him. Well, I've lived in this world for 75 years, and I know what I'm talking about. Right, and when you get to the place where you think the boat's getting ready to go under, what are you going to do? Your life experience is not going to save you. Your life experience is not going to call in a rescue helicopter and pull you out of that storm. Sometimes you're going to have to get to where Jesus is and wake him up. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Can't you see that we're about to die? This whole thing is getting ready to come apart. And some of you are exactly right there. You're at that moment. You've yet to go get Jesus. You've yet to wake up the master. But you are at the place and you are at the the intersection of life where you're watching the front end of your ship take nosedives into the sea. And you're watching the waves come over. And at the end of the day, if you had to be honest, if you had to admit it, what you're looking at is terrifying you. You're thinking about what your children are going to have to face over the next 10 years in a public school. It's a big wave. It's a daunting task. You're thinking about the future of your country and what elections mean and what the morality of the country really is these days and who's really in charge and what's happening to this beautiful nation that God has given us. And I'll be honest, when I put all of that into perspective, there is a huge wave that comes over the front of my ship. And no matter how experienced you are, the end of humanity will be shown very quickly when you're in a situation like this. The end of human capability these seasoned fishermen went and woke up Jesus. And sometimes life experience just isn't enough. Number three, in this particular story, access to Jesus required a particular posture. Access to Jesus. For verse 25 to take place, for them to get where Jesus was required a particular posture. 
If you go to the Holy Land, you can go see remnants of those ships that are still there. You can go to the museums and and see the size of these boats that we're talking about. We're not talking about Carnival Cruise Line ships. We're talking about what you would see is a little bit bigger than a big bass boat. Something that's really unremarkable as it pertains to size. And if there was anyone on this ship who is asleep, if they're down underneath in the hull of the ship asleep, then there's not even enough room in these ships for a man to stand up. If a man was going to store things underneath, if a man was going to sleep there, he would have to go down just a few feet into the hull and then for him to be able to move underneath the ship, underneath the deck, in the hull, he would have to go to his knees and walk around. And for some of us, we have access to Jesus. We know that he's available. We know that he's able. We know that he's capable. But the problem is some of us just simply will not assume the posture to be able to hear the answer. Jesus is in the hull of of the ship asleep. He's there. They know that he's there. This is not a question of, is Jesus on my boat? Is Jesus on my ship? They know he's there. And this so proves what the Bible teaches us, the humanity of our Lord, that he was all God and all man. The humanity of Jesus was so tired from all the preaching and all the teaching that even this storm can't wake him up. That's how exhausted our Lord was. That's how tired his human body was that even this storm wouldn't wake him. And they had to go get where he was. But the only way that would happen is by assuming the correct posture. You see, they had to get to a low place. They had to get to a place where in pride they could not come to Jesus. You can't be a big, burly, proud fisherman and stand on the deck and go wake up Jesus in the storm. There's, there's none of this. Oh, we're fine. If he, if he can wake up and help us, that'd be good. If not, whatever. We're good. That's not what was happening. The ship is about to go under. We got to go get help. But to get to where Jesus was, they had to get small. They had to get low to gain access to their master. And what they were doing was finding refuge in the right place. They didn't need bigger oars. It wasn't going to help them. They didn't need even life vests to get into the water would have drowned them. They didn't need a bigger ship to come up beside them and somehow tow them to shore those ships were in the same storm that they were in. There was only one option in that moment and that was to get to the resource that could actually do something about the storm. But they had to assume the correct posture. And sometimes we look at storms as a punishment. Listen to me now. Sometimes we look at the storms of life, the situations of life, the circumstances of life as God's children, as faithful people who are in the faith And we look at the problem that's before us and we go, well, I must be being punished. This is a punishment. This is something that I've done. God's angry at me. God's mad at me. 
And it could be that that's true. If you're living as a Christian, as a child of God, and you're walking against truth and against light, and you have sin in your life, God will shake your boat to get your attention. Somebody say amen. Amen. My personal testimony working in this county in 2014, God used a storm, a storm of death, to get a hold of my heart. I watched heroin... I watched carfentanil. I watched young people destroy their lives in ways that you cannot even imagine. I watched humanity's worst come out in ways that you thought you would never see in Buncombe County, in Asheville, in Western North Carolina. And through all that travesty and through all that death, And through all of that terrible existence for these people that required them to have a substance to put in their body so that they could function. One bad batch of heroin from Mexico that made it into South Asheville. And whatever lab in Mexico that that heroin had been pressed in and made in, one mistake from one drug lord took 12 people under the age of 35 just on the south end of Buncombe County. Nine of those people I personally placed in a body bag. A storm. I'd never seen anything like what I was seeing. I had never heard the cries from mothers and fathers who were looking at the body of their child and thought this was never supposed to happen. A storm. And I personally was not even where I should be with God. But see, I knew at 16 years old that I was supposed to preach. God had had made it clear to me. And you know what I was good at? Making an excuse. God, I'll never be able to fill the shoes of Ralph Sexton Sr. God, I'll never be able to be my granddaddy. God, I'll never be able to be a missionary like my dad. What's the point? Leave me alone and let me do my own thing. He said, okay, for a season. But then there came a storm. And it was a storm that I knew if I did not get in the right posture, in the right position, in the right time, then today I would not be standing behind this pulpit. And God would have left me to do what I wanted to do. You see, sometimes God will use a storm to shake us, to get our attention, to correct us. But sometimes God will send a storm because he wants to spend some quality time with you in the hull of the ship. You see, in the hull of the ship, it's tight quarters. It's close quarters. There's not a whole lot of activity that happens down there. Only two people could really be down there and have a conversation. May I dare say that any conversation that would happen in that ship, any conversation in the hull of that ship would have to be a face-to-face interaction. And sometimes the storm comes, you're driven to the correct posture, simply because God is a jealous God and he wants your time and he wants to hear from you and he wants to talk with you and he wants to equip you to be able to face what's up on deck. 
the storms. But to access Jesus, they had to be in the right posture. In life, we will find things to fill the hole, to grab onto in despair, and even things like alcohol or prescription drugs or sexual promiscuity, they may temporarily numb you from what's taking place in the storm. It may alter how you feel for a moment. The pill may bring you to a more calm and settled place where you feel like you can at least go to work and function. And don't hear me wrong, there are people who need medication every day. Praise the Lord that that's available for them. Please take your medicine. Praise the Lord. But when Jesus becomes tertiary on your list of resources, there's a problem. You see, there is not a pill, there is not a mixed drink, there is not a beer that has ever been brewed. There is no substance on this earth that can replace the resource of Jesus in your life. It can't touch him. Those are all temporary. And some of us, it's a pride problem. We don't want to assume the posture. We don't want to assume the position. To get on our knees may cost us something. God may ask us to do something. God forbid I go to him in prayer and he burdened me to, oh no, help the teenagers. Teach a Sunday school class. Oh, for some of us it's simply a pride problem. I don't want to get on my knees. I don't want to have that conversation because I know what's going to come up. The proper posture. Number four, know that often in your storm, in your situation, in your circumstance, often you will be on display for God's glory and for the benefit of other people. Let me say that again. You might be in the storm tonight that you're in to be on display for others to see God's glory and for their benefit and not yours. You see, when I live my life for Jesus and I understand what this walk of faith really is, the John 3.30 prayer really begins to shrink me, my desire, my will, and what I begin to find out is it's not really about me. And that God is so holy and so just and so righteous and he loves us enough that if we can go through a situation, if we can go through a circumstance, a storm, an issue, a problem, so that God gets glory, number one, and that number two, someone else could see the glory of God working in your life while you're on the ship in the storm, then don't be surprised when God does that. Some of you are simply in the storm that you're in for the others that are around you. There's a parallel to this. Many of you already know this. It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 36. And it proves that in this storm, in this great tempest that arose, the Bible says that there were other little ships. Other, it doesn't call them similar. It doesn't call them greater. It says other little ships that were in the same storm. And some of the greatest sermons that have ever been preached have been by people who were in the storm and they were surrounded by other little ships who were watching them live in the storm. 
Some of the greatest messages that have ever been preached on this earth have been preached in the nursing homes of western North Carolina. Let me say that again. Some of the greatest sermons ever preached in history have been preached inside the nursing homes of western North Carolina. The cream of the crop, the Bible Belt, God-fearing, God-believing, mountain Appalachian people who trusted God, who faced great adversity, who went through the Great Depression and World War II and were still faithful and trusted God. Some of them preached the greatest sermons to other little ships who watched them die in very particular ways that only God could be involved in. I have seen messages preached in the way people live their life, live in their storm, live in their situation, live in their circumstance at a cancer center as they hold on for dear life. And the other little ships around are watching. Oh, ma'am, you have a terminal diagnosis. Yes, but I'm a child of the king and I'm gonna be okay. Other little ships. You've been faithful to serve God all your life and you have no money, you have no home, you have no financial security or stability, you have been duped, you have been robbed of all of the wealth that you built up and yet you sit on the front row on Sunday morning and you have a smile and you're happy and tears flow because of the love of Jesus that's in your life but you are in the greatest storm I've ever known of anyone. Other little ships. And some of you, God has you in the storm that you're in because God trusts you to be in that storm for the benefit of those around you. Mamas, daddies, when you think you've got it hidden from kids, when you think the problems that are happening in your marriage, the problems that are happening financially at home, when you think that your nine-year-old doesn't know, I promise you, they can feel the temperature of the water. They can see the swaying of the ship. And it may be that God wants you to step out in faith and trust him in this storm so for the benefit of the other little ships in your home, they can see mama and daddy stay faithful even when it's tough, even when it's hard. And you may be on full display simply to bring God glory and for the benefit of others. That's where you have to trust God. That's where it doesn't make sense. That's the rubber meeting the road when it comes to faith. That's not a cute print for a t-shirt. That's not a social media post. That's not just something you put in the bulletin. When it's your life and your storm and your circumstance and you're in the middle of it and you're having to trust God that he's in control and that he knows what's best, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's why so many people, the first sight of dark skies, the first puff of strong wind, they get out of the water and they go to the shore. But those that are in the faith, those that are consistent in their walk, they simply follow Jesus and trust him all the way home. Number five, thankfully, this is for all of us that are in the faith, that are on our way to heaven, and it was true even here for these disciples. Number five, the storm doesn't come to stay. The storm doesn't come to stay. Let me say this. 
and we give these disciples a hard time sometimes, but then I put myself on that ship and I can't see myself acting any other way than they did. But when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, the moment he said that, those disciples could have got on that ship and a B-52 bomber had dropped 5,000 pounds of munitions on that ship. A team of U.S. Navy SEALs could have fast roped to the deck of that ship with C-4 charges and Bangalore mines. There could have been a fire-breathing dragon from China come out of the north and blow hot fire all over that ship. But when Jesus said, we're going to the other side, they could be absolutely certain of one thing. Their master was no liar. And they could take it to the bank. They could be absolutely sure that they were going to make it to the other side. Storm or no storm. And whoever you are, whoever's in this room tonight or watching online and you're discouraged, you're having a hard time, you're dealing with grief, you're dealing with doubt and you're in a storm, just know this, he's already promised you that you would make it to the other side and you're safe thus far. He's still in the ship, he's still in control and he knows right where you are even tonight. And he loves you and he cares for you. The storm didn't come to save. Verse 24, it tells us there arose a great tempest. But then in verse 26, something bigger, something better, something with more power came up out of the ship and arose. And it said, and he said unto them, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. There was a great calm. The storm did not last. They made it to the other side. Now, students of the word of God, there are some rabbit trails here that I am tempted to run, but for the sake of time and preaching three different messages here, we're not going to run them, but we may come back and run them. Find it very interesting. Make it as a point of reference for you to go back and explore and to study out in your personal study. Why would Jesus have to get up and rebuke the winds and the sea? Why would Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is all God and all man, sent to earth, why would he have to get up and rebuke the winds? Why would he have to rebuke the sea? I think this is even more evidence for us of the fall of Satan from heaven cast to earth, where he and his Demons, he and his minions, he and the, those, the, the third of the angels that fell that are here. Remember in 2 Corinthians, there's a verse, uh, the apostle Paul calls him the God, little g-o-d, of this what? Of this world. There was an uh, absolute coordinated attack of spiritual warfare on a level that you and I will never know because more than likely, this is the devil himself at work. If he could have, he would have tried to, just like he tempted Jesus in the desert, wouldn't it have been something for Lucifer, Satan, to do something enough, something powerful enough to somehow kill Jesus? What a fool Satan is. But if Jesus faced even physical manifestations of warfare, of attack, in these last days, 
You, the child of God, even though you're in the ship with Jesus, can still face real, physical, spiritual warfare. A real darkness. There's a reason Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. But the point is, as soon as he did, they obeyed him. And see, this wasn't even the greatest storm that these disciples would face. Not too long from now, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to die. And he's going to be put into a borrowed tomb. And he's going to be dead. And while he's dead, he's busy at work carrying out the tasks and the duties assigned to him by God the Father. And as he approached hell itself to remove the power, the authority, and the control of death, hell, and the grave from Satan himself, while he's busy at work, on the third day, just like he came up out of this ship and the Bible said arose, on the third day in Jerusalem, from the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, he arose. And when he got up that time, it was something for you. Redemptive history was changed forever. So that one day, when we put your body in the ground, when you put my body in the ground, it's not the final chapter. Rather, because of Jesus, it's just getting started. And sometimes while you're on the journey waiting to get home to heaven, we're busy about the Father's work, we're salt, we're light, we're taking as many as we can with us. Sometimes you just need to be reminded to go wake up Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll go home, eat some ice cream, watch Andy Griffith. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice tonight that would say, Pastor, I can honestly say I'm in a place I never thought I'd be. I'm in a situation, a circumstance, a storm that I never thought I'd have to go through. Would you pray for me? Would you be man enough, woman enough to raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? No one's looking around. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you for your confidence, your courage. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? I'm in a place. I'm in a battle, a struggle. Anyone else? Many hands have gone up. God bless you, man. Praying for you. Anyone else? I'm in a battle. I'm in a tough place. Well, here's the good news. You can simply come, assume the posture, and have access to Jesus. Sometimes we bottle all this stuff up. We try to hide it. We try to conceal it. We try to apply the band-aids of life when sometimes we simply just need to come tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. If you need to do that tonight, I want you to come. There were so many hands that went up all over this building. And faith believing, if you put your hand up, you've got something that you're going through. I want you to come. We're, we're at home tonight. This is family. I want you to come if you're able in body. I want to pray for you. I want to ask God to do what only he can do. No one's going to come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. We're here to pray together. I'm right there with you tonight. Both of my hands are up. There are some things I need to take to Jesus.
that I need help with. And only he's going to be able to fix it. Only he's going to be able to bring a resolution. Only Jesus. I think it'd be the best thing if we just go into a season of prayer. Arthur, whatever's on your heart, just sing. I've got some folks here I want to pray with. Pastors, if you see somebody that needs prayer help, you pray with them. Deacons, you do the same.